Asset Radio. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. This is it. The July 15 episode Bass Edge Radio. Aaron, welcome aboard. Let's take her for a ride. Absolutely take it for a ride. And of course, this ride has always been brought to us and all of Bass Edge Nation by our friends at MegaWare Keel Guard, the first do-it-yourself keel protector, the Skeg Guard, the Battery Guard, the Pontoon Guard. Guarding everything, Kurt. It, uh, of course, <laughs> it, uh, can it all be guard. found at MegaWare.com. You know, I think when I post something on social media, I get the most response when I post the scuff buster. You know, it goes right up there by the bow eye of your boat, and it's kind of like a little, you know, creates a little bling, nice little look, little chrome piece up there. But at the same time, it, it's, it serves a great capacity because every time you're rolling your your boat all the way up or driving your boat up on the trailer it always takes a beating right there and that really protects it but uh it's always interesting to me that i get so much response on social media when i post the scuff buster but i'm gonna be disappointed aaron no eye cast zero eye cast we, we've known it's not going along for a while but now that it's time it's it's hit me i'm not going to see my peeps from megaware no tory no ryan no guy just i'm i'm kind of bummed dude yeah, and, and so I'm many miss, so I'm many miss the videos yeah. that you guys do yeah. you know the behind the scenes stuff that you know that's that's what i miss the most yep so asa they're doing this little eye cast online so folks should try to check that out and and kind of see how, how that's all coming together but uh they're gonna have a little eye cast online tackle warehouse doing a little something special with uh, some iCast things. So so uh, if you want to check out some new products, see what's coming new, it's going to be way off the ordinary here in 2020, but uh, still some things there available. And I'm sure Bass Blaster, Jay Kumar will probably be all over that too. Yeah, Bass Blaster. If you're not signed up, I, Aaron, I remember just maybe it was about a month ago, maybe six weeks, they, they had this awesome little tidbit which I thought was really cool about Big Bass slow presentation. Jay Kumar talked to uh, James Caldemeyer, who's a guide over at Lake Fork, and and talked. To, and James is known for catching giant fish over there, and and he does all the time. Talking about how slow the presentation needs to be in order to elicit strikes from a big bass. What's your thought on that, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I would throw into time of year and and what you're actually fishing. But certainly I do believe, uh, you know, just like we heard from Palinik a couple episodes ago that above average size bass you know because big is relative yeah. but above average you have to do things differently just like when he was talking about the glide bait so i, sure. I would i would it's definitely true. tend to agree with that and certainly we know lake fork is filled with with big fish it is, it is. i continue to encourage everybody to make sure they are subscribed to the bass blaster you can do that by sending jay kumar a quick email bass blaster at bassgold.com jay will you on that subscription service it's just a short little email it's going to come in your email box usually once maybe twice a week but uh follow some great tips tidbits and industry news so be sure you check that out and aaron it is time to check out another tackle tip brought to us by protecttheharvest.com stay tuned this episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with bass elite series pro brandon polinick 
What's up, everybody? This is the time of year in July where many of our major tournaments start to move north and the smallmouth fishing is incredible. And as we come into this time of year, one, I guess, rod or technique that never leaves my boat is the infamous drop shot. I really go about selecting my lures on my drop shot based on kind of the conditions that I'm fishing around, you know, and that mostly has to do with cover. So I'll start with kind of fishing around grass. If I'm fishing around grass where I think my bait is actually going to be coming in contact with that, a lot of times I'll go with a Texas rigged drop shot bait, meaning that I still have the drop shot, I still have my weight below it, but I'm going to Texas rig my worm on there and I'm going to use an X-Zone deception worm. It's going to float, it's going to keep up there in the water column, it's going to stay up above that grass or at least up in the fish's face, but Texas rigging it is going to allow it to stay weedless. I'm able to kind of drag and move that through. So a lot of places like St. Clair, when you get in some of that heavier grass and those fish are really pushing the perch and the bait fish around that, it's a great, phenomenal way to do it. I'm going to use a, a little VMC number one finesse Nico hook so that it's got a little bit of a keeper on there. It's going to keep that bait on there from wanting to slide down and just keep a nice straight profile. Generally, a quarter ounce is going to be my go-to weight. Um, and then as I get deeper or if it's super windy, then I'll go up to like a three-eighths or a half ounce even. And when I get into open water situations, whether it's rock piles, um, you know, little sand flats, things like that, arguably one of the most infamous baits up north is an X-Zone Slammer. And that's going to be my go-to. And really kind of identifying the type of bait fish that you're targeting, right? If you're around gobies, I'll go with some of the, you know, maybe a 309 color or something that has those different brown, copper, purple hues. And if I'm around perch, then I'll go with like literally the perch colors or even the green pumpkin works really well. And I just, I nose hook that. So I use a little, you know, one knot or sometimes I'll even go down to a number two and fish that around kind of the open cover, you know, dragging it around, shaking it around those high percentage areas, same weight as before. But really, that's just kind of the two main baits that when we go up north smallmouth fishing that I'm going to apply to my drop shot. I'll change it here and there and mix some things in there. But those are the two that I've always got in my boat that stay in my drop shot box. And I've just had so much success with that that I don't have to stray from it. So if you guys are looking for a couple baits to add to your lineup when you go out there fishing this summer, smallmouth fishing, make sure you guys check out uh, Deception Worm and that Slammer from XM. Awesome tip, Brandon. Brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. 
Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Obviously, are in full, uh, full-on press of talking about you know deep fishing, summer fishing, ledge fishing, however you want to right. call it. And and one of the things that surprisingly doesn't get talked about tremendously, but I gotta believe all of us use it on a regular basis, and that is Carolina rigging. Yes, Carolina rigging is very important, especially in this time of year. Texas rigging is one thing. You know, it kind of keeps the weight uh, close to the bait. Carolina rigging, totally different. Fish have been pressured. Much more natural presentation due to the fact that you've got the weight separated in decent distance and length from the bait itself. So it's now you have a very natural, free-flowing type presentation. Aaron, there's a couple key things in my Carolina rig setup, um, number one is the weight, right? I mean, conditions can vary day to day. No doubt, no doubt. The weight, not only with conditions from weather, for example, wind is, is, is what I would refer to the first, but also the conditions of cover. So some, some lakes you go to like Sam Rayburn, Toledo Bend, you go over there and you Carolina rigging. I don't care what it is. They want it stuck to the bottom. I mean, dead nuts stuck to the bottom. So three quarter, one ounce weight constantly. You come to a lake, you know, like my home lake, Lake Amistad, we've got a lot of grass. Carolina rigging can be, okay, are you out on the ledges? You need that big three quarter ounce weight, but it can also be edges of grass. I might dumb it down to a quarter ounce weight, something that really kind of you know, tinkers across the edge of that grass as I'm bringing it down into the deep water and really working the ambush point specifically, you know, where the grass tapers off. So I don't want a big weight because it's just going to thud right into the grass and I'm not going to be able to pull it and have a nice presentation of my lure behind it. So weight is really important in understanding which weight to use in different conditions. Make sure you try different variables because every condition is going to be a little bit different in one a lighter weight could work well in some cases and a heavier weight work well in a different circumstance so weight is super important yeah can you talk briefly to kurt on you know just kind of your favorite bait choices that you think universally you know have a place on a carolina rig so for me on a carolina rig i i really like something that has some action to it some slow action i'm not a big carolina rigger on straight tail worms or straight tail products unless it's in the post spawn but really we're talking now about you know this midsummer time frame and and moving into you know even hotter days as we even get into august so the bait that I want to choose has has some kind of appendages on it that have some nice, flowing, soft action. Not something like really hard that, that really waggles, you know, a great distance uh, up and down, but something, you know, like a small curly tail worm, something that has a nice free flowing action to it. There's a lot of smaller Kind of like along crawl. lines like creature bait type. Yeah, uh, creature bait type things that have uh, very small appendages that are, that are nice free flowing. I, I think of one right now that's that's kind of 
off the charts here, but uh, the uh, Space Monkey from Strike King. You know, that's a cool little small because you, there's so many things to look at down there that that you could be intimidated. Bluegill, crawfish, those are the two big things I, I think that you're going to find down there that that's going to be in those areas. But and also any kind of bait fish. But but that's the type of bait that I'm looking for. What I think is even more important in the bait, Aaron, is the length of the leader, and that really depends on what kind of cover. If you're covering big vast area of like a ledge flats that drop off into deep water i want a longer leader if i'm covering something that has cover oriented with it whether it's stumps or brush i want to shorten my leader up what does a long or short leader mean i might go you know 24 to 36 inches on a long leader 18 inches on a short leader so those would be kind of those variables that i would play i think another thing that's crazy important is and and i'd like to get your feedback too on this area what kind of knots do you like to use and how do you tie that rig together yeah so uh great question I, one thing i will say too on the leader kurt is regardless of what the length is i do actually prefer to go to a monofilament leader just because of tendency to float versus you know fluorocarbon that's going to sink so oh, yeah. uh, that is that is one thing that i like to do as far as on the knot you know i keep it pretty simple i still go back to and i know we've had a lot of discussions on knots i'll still use uh the polymer or uh you know the old school what they called back in the day the, the super trilene and you know one thing i do though is a lot is retie above where that weight is sliding up and down mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. above above the swivel if i'm using that application or if i'm using a carolina keeper you know constantly uh, uh checking the line yeah so back in the 80s and 90s it was huge to have a glass bead um multifaceted created a little bit of rattle that glass has a nice high pitch uh sound when it hits the tungsten and then back then it was brass you know it was brass and glass oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> but it, it also provides some knot protection for the scenario that you just talked about so in addition to re- tying often. I do like to have some kind of bead there to protect the knot from the constant banging of now I use mostly tungsten. So that tungsten weight, because that'll wear on that knot and wear on that line tremendously. Yeah. Good points there. The final thing I want to really, you know, kind of attack with this is the rod. You know, you don't need, I don't think that you need a very heavy action rod. Now I'm not saying medium action, but something it's got to have a little tip because you want to pull it and really be able to feel that cover without jolting it through the cover, which a heavy action rod would do. And also when the fish bites, you know, a lot of times because you don't have direct contact with the bait, it's not a definitive tunk. You know, it can just be a soft, heavy, mushy feeling. And you want some tip in the rod to be able to absorb the feeling of the fish when you may not know the fish is there yet. So it's really important to have some some nice little tip in your rod so it's got some flexibility and some play that it'll really give you a better feel on some of those mushy bites. No doubt. And uh, I think, Kurt, your description may tie in specifically, which certainly with the topic, but maybe even with uh, the next guest that we have coming on. Yeah, no doubt. This next guest we've got coming on, uh, Deep Fishing he is working on his masters. I mean, he is right there. <laughs> Believe me, he's he's got the bachelor's. He's he's working on his masters. He's been proving it on the tournament trail. Y'all stay tuned. Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight coming up next. Deepwater Bassin with one of the better anglers that we could talk to in this subject. 
I'm BASS Elite Angler Skylar Hamilton. This is FLW Tour Angler James Nigelman. I'm professional angler Mark Rose. I'm professional angler Britt Myers. This is FLW Tour Champion David Williams. Stay tuned for more Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. This angler we get to chat with today made a switch from FLW to bass in the 2019-2020 offseason. A few tournaments in, and he's a BASS Elite Series champion. After his best season with FLW last year, the momentum continues to roll. Look forward to breaking down some summer bassing with BASS Elite Series angler, Buddy Gross. Thanks for taking the time to hang with us here on Bass Edge, buddy. Absolutely. Glad to be here. I'm glad you guys had me on the show. Well, buddy, you are coming off a win last month on Lake Eufaula in Alabama. Lots of fish caught shallow and deep, and you prevailed with a monster day four bag of over 27 pounds. Looking at your tournament history, you seem to be kind of a home run hitter. Is is that set up intentionally for your fishing strategy? Not on purpose. It's just kind of how it's always been with me. I, uh, tend to catch bigger fish and and not sometimes the numbers game but you know i'm trying to learn them both you know first few years on the flw tour it took me a while to figure out how to get out of the 90s in the points and i i kept gradually getting a little better so i've tried to work on it all but just got lucky and found quality fish this week buddy let's talk about that real quick you, you mentioned you know your first couple years at flw you know you weren't new to bass fishing at that time what do you think was the process that has brought you from you know, you mentioned even though you finished a couple of years in the 90s, you, you had some good events. You know, you'd have a top 10. I mean, you won at Toho. You had some good events. Of course, the year you won at Toho, you really did well that year, your final year in FLW before you went to Bass. But if I'm at home, I'm a weekend angler. I'm looking to try to make this move to uh, full-time fishing or, or some type of success on the AAA level. What do you think it was that you veered around and kind of found this little sweet spot that you're in right now i finally figured out that there are a, such a rod called a spinning rod one thing i, I just was never <laughs> a spinning rod guy i was always a power fisherman and growing up on the tennessee river and uh, fishing team tournaments was my deal i didn't really do a whole lot of draw tournaments but you had to have you know for a one-day tournament five fish you're looking to have upper 20s to 30s in order to have a chance to win so it just changed my bait selections and the style of fishing i did and learning how to manage fish for four days was something else that I had never done. You know, I'd fished only a handful of couple two-day tournaments. So there was a learning curve, and I just think I'm finally catching up with that curve. That's a great perspective, I think, for most people because I think the team tournaments are, you know, nowadays it's the easiest way to get involved. You know, you're splitting expenses with friends and, you know, learning more by having another compadre out there that you're breaking down a lake. So uh, that's a very interesting concept. I think you did well to kind of explain what you got to do to maybe – 
steer this boat right to get in the position that you're at. But you're very proficient, obviously, at the offshore game. When you're learning and dialing it in, say, five, six years ago through 2019 and 18, you had, you know, some awesome finishes. What are some of the biggest obstacles you felt you had to overcome to be a top-notch offshore pro? You know, back in my early years on tour, I, I would notice that there would be tournaments where I didn't weigh limits in, and I made myself a promise that I had to do whatever it took to have five fish at the end of the day. You can't add those total weights up with three or four fish. I mean, if you don't have that extra fish, that's just weights you're giving away. So I've tried to make it a point now to make sure I have somewhere I feel like I can go catch me a few fish and not just the quality because some days it just don't work out. I mean, some days you wake up on the other side of the bed instead of the right side of the bed. So I just started making sure I could catch me a limit, and then I'd work on the quality after that. Yeah. When you talk about uh, you know the challenges from one day to the next and and when you're on the water and you see windows of opportunity it seems many anglers are somewhat content with waiting until a bite turns on what are the challenges creating by fishing multiple patterns in an event and working to take advantage of the different feeding cycles through those different patterns i don't know that i'm a great pattern guy I would rather find spots. I mean, I'm a great guy when I find an area that I can just maneuver around and finesse my own way to figure out how to get the quality out of it. But fortunately, when we were at Ufala, I did figure out that the wind of opportunity was later in the day when the sun got straight up and down. It seemed like the fish gathered around the structure. You know, it was a little easier at that point. It seemed like all of them were not roaming and tied straight to it. So I think if it had been cloudy, that I might have had a whole lot tougher time. But the best thing I can say is if I find an area that's producing quality, then I try to venture out away from that small core area and figure out why, where, and when, and it's just worked for me. I, I hope that answers the question you're asking, but I'm yeah, not yeah, a big I, pattern guy where I'm going to run points all day or something. It's not really like that for me. It feels like, buddy, let me know if you agree, that, that there's kind of a shift in pattern fishing versus spot fishing. And, and what I mean by that shift is, you know, pressure on our lakes seems to continue to increase as bass fishing and, and anglers, you know, get more dialed in. And it, it, it used to be that way with the shorebound angler. What I mean by shorebound, a guy that's going to fish shallow. And then, you know, if you could figure out something deep, you kind of had it all to yourself. Nowadays, that's not the case, as we all know. And that's kind of hurt the ability to fish length see patterns out offshore and maybe why you're being more successful than others because you're fishing an isolated area or piece of the lake maybe and running these spots as you say continuously maybe throughout the day what's your thought process on that as far as what you see and how you dissect what other anglers are doing and how you try to overcome that to have more success offshore I'm still staying out wide, but I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I've always seemed to be ahead of the curve on fishing changes. Mm -hmm. I still feel like fishing's going back to the bank in the near future. There's so many people out now and wanting to look at their graphs that the fish are going to get pressured out off of those places. The schools now, you know, where I grew up fishing, have got smaller all over the Tennessee system. They're not giant mega schools like we used to call them. They're just busted up schools and they're just in a few places. And I swear, I think it's because we have grass growing and all the lakes are healthy and it's just pushing fish back shallow. I'm not saying two foot, but I'm saying 
15 to 8, 7, 6. I mean, it seems like that's where the change is going. I just hope I can stay above, you know, stay ahead of it and stay with them. But it's hard to know when there could be a school out there and you can throw a crankbait in and catch two four-pounders and you're going to go up there and fish for one three-pounder every hour. It's, it's hard. Yeah, it's so. funny you bring that up, buddy, because uh, a couple episodes ago, Brandon Palnick was on here and we were talking about fishing offshore and he more or less alluded to the exact same thing that you said with the pressure, you know, and, and sometimes that perhaps going back shallow that there's less pressure and you're likely to increase your chances of putting fish in the boat. I agree. I'm just never grew up fishing the bank much. You know, I was always offshore. My dad actually took me fishing a lot as a kid. and He'd rather drag a Carolina rig as to eat supper, and I hated that. So <laughs> I don't throw a Carolina rig much still to this day because I did it so much as a kid. But I really believe in our near future that you're going to see more of these guys who used to do it on the bank are going to start coming back and be strong. Right. I want to tap into one more thing quickly about this topic, and that is, you know, specifically at Ufala, you follow you mentioned that you found kind of that magical window was later in the afternoon yet every morning you'd still start out deep and kind of working those brush piles and doing that type of thing do you feel like that just puts you in the right motions in the right mind frame versus trying to hit a couple of shallow fish in the morning or trying something a little bit different in those slower feeding cycles when you just knew the afternoon was going to be better. Can you just kind of explain that process of, you know, and you hear this a lot from anglers, but specifically with you, you're just all in on it. Is that really just the basis of it? Truthfully, my mindset in that tournament was anything before 10 o'clock was a bonus. And I just wasn't set up to go do the bank thing. I never practiced it. I never went and looked at it. And I can tell you that I'd start on a place not far from takeoff, fish it for 30 minutes, and I'd run down the lake. I'd run 15 miles and not see four boats on the river. (laughs) I knew I was in trouble and I was behind. But I felt like at any minute in any brush pile, I could catch a giant. And that's all I was gambling on is trying to catch the quality bite during the slow hours that there might be one sitting there that you know hadn't been pressured so i kept doing it and it never worked until the last day because i started catching a few big ones before what i felt like my wind of opportunity was so i still think i made the right decision in doing that but i told my partner when we left i said we're not like no action till 10 o'clock and then we started getting bit before that i was like hallelujah this is awesome well ain't no question that you made the uh made the right call that's for sure let's talk quickly about boat positioning you know it's well known now over your media extent that you had right after after the Ufala tournament that you like to stay way off the cover or the structure and, and make, you know, extended long casts. You know, you feel like that's advantageous for you to catch more fish and to target the fish before they kind of feel your own pressure upon them. How do you determine the proper boat positioning and how important is it to be successful at deep water fishing? And let me just tack on to that. You know, you talked about uh, having hundreds of brush piles. There's there's no way, right, we can remember exactly how to line up these brush piles. Of course, if you go back to one a few times, then you're going to be more dialed in on it. But I remember that one of the areas in that particular tournament, you caught some fish off a brush pile that you hadn't fished much. It was just one that was on your graph and you caught, a, I think, a big one or a couple nice fish off it that were key to the deal. How do you approach that? Can you just kind of walk us through how that works for you? Several years ago, I made a switch to Hummingbird Electronics, and I can tell you that the 360 changed everything for me on offshore structure fishing because now I don't worry about 
where the winds come from, currents come. I mean, whatever is the biggest strength. In other words, if the wind's stronger than the current, I'll face into the wind, or if the current's stronger, I'll face into the current. But I didn't let the structure dictate where. I didn't ever have a, a casting or a direction I really wanted. I wanted it to be a presentation where I could throw into the wind and have great boat control and can see the structure the whole time, if that makes sense. So one day I threw straight down the river, and the next day I threw straight up the river. But it was all because I wanted to see the structure because I could see the fish, or they were sitting right side, left side front side back side i could see anything i needed to see with it in front of me that, that that's makes... why i got to see my backside so much <laughs> right right well that, that actually does make a lot of sense does that alter when you go to a reservoir that doesn't have much current like down here where i live at lake amistad right we don't have a lot of current if you go to i'm trying to think like a bugs island lake in virginia those systems are different right i mean they're, they're not necessarily current oriented like the tva is or the chattahoochee you know where that went down at, at lake ufala does that change your perspective or do you still like to face kind of what traditionally would be up and down the river channel if there's no wind that's pushing me around where i don't want my boat to be sitting crooked or backwards up i would rather have the presentation go shallow to deep i want to sit in the deeper side of anything and bring it off if it's on a break but if it's wind got a problem with it i don't really have a problem with it. i just kind of count stuff down instead of letting it go to the bottom if i'm throwing to the deep becoming shallow you don't really want to throw it off a ledge and try to bring it up into a brush pile or into a stump or anything like that as much as if you're dragging a crankbait does its own work but the swim bait stuff will get hung a lot so i try to sit deep throw shallow as much as possible but if the wind or the current's making that a problem i don't have a problem throwing the other direction and if the wind is not blowing at all and i have an opportunity i'll face it 360 degrees if it's Gotcha. So you opened the Pandora's box there real quickly on swim bait. And, and I noticed throughout most of your success, there is always a piece of the puzzle that remains the same. That's a Scottsboro tackle swim bait. What's so special about that bait? And daggummit, it must just catch the snot out of them. <laughs> It's just got a really good swimming profile, and the you know Tim at Scott Spur Tackle, he's a hand poured bait. He cares about the colors; they're consistent. But you know, I I use it a ton. I use five sixes and every nine and a seven. But it's it's just been a real staple in my game, especially when pressure's high. It's got a tight swim where my zoom swimmer is always on the deck, also the five inch swimmer. But it's got a real thumping. You can feel it swim action, and both baits have their time and place, and I try to use them both weekly. Gotcha. Makes sense. Well, hang tight, Bass Edge Nation. We're going to power pole down for a short break. Stay tuned as we will return with more deep water bass and discussion with BASS Elite Series angler, Buddy Gross. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the power pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool. Swift. PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio presented in part by Lawrence Electronics returns with BASS Elite Series Angler Buddy Gross and the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping. It works. Buddy, how do bass change through the summer in specific depth of water? 
And, you know, kind of the other part of that, I guess, what would your guideline be as a starting depth in June and progressing now finding ourselves in in mid-July on into August and September as far as best depths to look for offshore bass? Seems to me like the ones that are easiest to catch are the first ones out, and they start out in the 15, 18-foot range. And then as the season progresses with pressure and heat and less current, they'll tend to move a little deeper. But very rarely do I catch them over 25 feet. There's occasions, but it's usually that 15 to 25 depth for the summertime for me. If it gets much deeper than that, I about run out of line. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. July, August, specifically, you know, we're in these dog days, they call it, of summer. You talk about less current, more depth. Do you feel like, you know, one thing I really tagged into with this Ufala thing a few weeks back was the difference between the ledges and the brush piles and, and, and the things that you're really looking for from an offshore perspective. Are you still looking for brush now, you know, in July and, and into August, or are you more focusing now off on the deep ledge, hard bottom type structure? I would rather find the deep ledges, but again, we're talking about the pressure's got so strong on them, so I always look for structure. I always try to find some brush but the ledge fishing is the best if you get on the right school. It's a fast-paced deal. They do go through feeding cycles. You know, on your lakes that you fish the most, you know those cycles and you have the strength and the patience to wait them out sometimes. But I have learned the more that I travel these new lakes I've never been to, and I don't know where the quality is always going to be. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, mm-hmm. your home lake, you know typically where the community hole is, it's going to produce 30 pounds, and you have the patience to wait them out sometimes. That is what I'm having to learn on these lakes is... Sometimes I can slow down and do better than just always trying to speed through. Buddy, looking at contours, points, or channel variances, you know, what kind of seems to be most productive for you? Are you are you looking for, like, inside turns, outside turns? Obviously, like, the points of the channel where they're coming down is going to flush that bait over top of that high spot or hard spot that's on, you know, kind of these channel structures, I guess you might call them. And then secondarily, once you attack that is how do you run your boat when you're idling around looking for this stuff? Is there a specific pattern that you like to idle through? Um, What's effective for you when you look at it from that perspective as well, if you could share with the listeners? The main thing is, is when you're idling anything, whether it's a hump or a river channel or a river bar on the backside of the channel, I tend to stay on top of whatever it is with the shallowest part. Sit on top of it, idle it on top, because you're going to find differences that you'll miss if you're sitting out in the creek or river or the deep water shooting up. When you sit on top of it and you're side imaging, and you look off and you got a solid black line where it's falling off into the river and then all of a sudden you got a white spot or a light spot it looks like a shell or what the deal is though is that's like a little drain so these little th- those little bitty insignificant places that everybody else overlooks is what i try to find now because the pressure is so heavy you find little bitty places like that and the pressure moves them from a good ditch mouth to that little bitty drain that's 200 yards down the river and i'm giving away a lot of good juice right here but that's the deal you just got to find something it's a change in it, and you'll see the fish. The fish will tell you where they're wanting to be, and, and the more pressure they get, the more they will move around. And I have several places on some of the lakes I fish back home where the juice is on one place, and I'm talking about it is the juice. 
and an hour and a half after the tournament starts, the juice just changed 200 yards away. It's important to look around, not just find that one spot, but think about where they're going once you start baiting on them, too. That has great insight, and I want to run with that a little bit, buddy. You know, once you have determined that productive location like you speak of, it seems the proverbial question that we've had most throughout the 12-year history of Bass Edge is how many times will you visit a place through a tournament day, and then do you have a rule of thumb on how long to stay? Do you idle over it to check? see if fish are still present, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If it's a place that's over 15 feet deep, I'll idle it every time. And if I don't see them set up right or I don't think the numbers are right, I won't make a cast. So my electronics are key in making my presentations and making me know whether I want to fish it or not. And it's a lot of confidence thing, too. If you don't have the confidence and they think they're there, you're not going to fish it as well. And then rotation-wise... I'll fish places three, four, five, six times a day. Just depends on how good that spot's been to me and how good I think it's going to get with the pressure, too. As far as how long to stay? I let the bites dictate that. I mean, and again, if you're going to have a lot of pressure on the lake, if you got a 200-boat field versus an 80-boat field, that tells you maybe you don't want to give something up when you might stay just because you may not get it. Because I have got on bad rotations where I leave my best spot thinking I'm going to come back to it and never get a spot again. That is a really bad feeling. When you know that you are probably in a bad rotation, you need to almost stop and go backwards for a minute because it can get ugly. If you leave a spot, go to the next and somebody's on it, go to the next and somebody's on it, come back to the region when somebody's on it, and then you've lost everything. So I tell you, pressure is changing everything. Used to, you could run everything 15 times a day and be fine. 10 spots, just keep rotating them all day long and keep them fresh. That day's almost gone, though. Somebody's pulling on it when you're leaving. So it's kind of a gut feeling, and I don't know how to give you a better answer, but it's a gut feeling. If you're catching fish every 30 minutes, 45 minutes, it may be a place you stay and never leave. Well, I think uh, you bring up a good point, speaking of the gut feeling, and that's probably why it's always asked. You know, it's that instinct, and obviously your instinct and experience and time on the water and proven successes and also the failures have allowed you to kind of mold what works best for you and makes you the successful angler, (laughs) obviously, that you are. So very interesting, very good stuff. Buddy, in an overview of our discussion today, I'm going to ask you to narrow it down. If if you had three go-to baits as a successful offshore angler, what are they? I have a new one I want to throw out there, and this is not a sales pitch, but it's been something that I'm playing with and learning. But I, the new Ledge Hog, I don't know if y'all have seen it, but it's something that you can use like a long line and crank bait. You can use it like it's a bladed bait, but it's something that covers tons of water in a hurry. Swim bait, and I'm going to have a jig tied on. I'm going to have those three things every time I go to Ledge with a few additions, too. Buddy, it's time for the listener question segment of the show, and this, this segment is presented by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. This question takes us actually from one extreme of what our discussion has been to another. Uh, Daniel McLaughlin of Central Pennsylvania area asks this. Fishing from the bank, there's always cover and structure you can get to, like, say, a laydown. How do you fish the laydown from the bank? Do you stand next to it, pitch to it? Do you go down the bank, cast to it? Then how would you go about lure selection and dissecting the cover? I would go down the bank and throw to it because I've done it my whole life. 
it, it would consist of like a wacky worm and probably a topwater frog, depending on the season, just because those two baits get bit well off the bank. Well, buddy, thanks uh, for helping with Daniel's question. I have a lot of respect. So it, it sounds like you grew up bank fishing prior to actually kind of setting your feet in a boat. That's right. When I was a kid, I got took fishing, but I never had my own boat. It's different now. All these kids with the boats have no idea how much I wish I could have done that as a kid. But I didn't get my own boat till I was in my late 20s, so it took a while. But I did tons of bank fishing, caught tons of big fish off the bank, and some of my greatest memories are standing on the bank. No doubt, no doubt. Well, we certainly appreciate you helping Daniel with his question. Daniel, thanks for sending that in. And uh, one last thing that we need from you, and that is to log on to BassEdge.com. Click the Claim Your Prize tab and let us know that you heard Buddy answer your question. Fill out the information and we will get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to you. And Bass Edge listeners continue to send those questions into the show via our website, BassEdge.com. Just click on the tab, ask the pros to have a shot at winning a another gift from Bass Edge Radio in the following months. You can also email us support at BassEdge.com or leave us a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter media pages. Well, buddy, it's certainly uh, great having you here on Bass Edge for your first visit with us. Uh, Hope to do it again in the future. Any final thoughts as we get ready to close down? No, I'd just like to say thank you to everyone who listens, and uh, please follow me at Buddy Gross Fishing. It's on Instagram, Facebook, and please follow all of our sponsors. Check them out. That's the only reason we get to fish, and uh, thank you guys for having me, and love to come back. Thanks, buddy. Best of luck the rest of the way in 2020. Again, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to visit with us here on Bass Edge Radio. Y'all hold on. Aaron and I will return in just a moment. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Kurt Buddy uh, is obviously very, very good at offshore. One thing that stuck out to me was when posed the question about idling over a spot during tournament hours. And he said if it's 15 feet or deeper, he'll do it every time that he visits that, and he will visit it up to four or five times per tournament day. 
Yeah, I thought that was interesting too, especially being the fact that I know he likes to stay far away from the structure or cover or area where he feels like the fish are located, you know, kind of sneaking up on him a little bit. But I, I would guess, you know, that that becomes a, a system where once you've been there, you know, the first or second time throughout the day, things change throughout the day. And, and he talked about that too, about how, you know, he's going to find the primary area, but he's also looking for secondary areas once those fish are pressured where they're going to move to. And um, that's most likely part of that key ingredient, right? To make sure you're casting at fish because again, our electronics are so good that uh, you know they're there or not. And there's no sense of just casting randomly where there is no fish. So he wants to be sure he's targeting bass, not just targeting the cover or structure yeah for sure and certainly appreciate buddy uh, taking the time his reflection i got a lot out of him talking about going from finishing way down in the numbers in the field and how he was able to kind of turn that around and do some self-analysis self-awareness and take that to the next level to increase his you know higher finishes i guess would be the easy yeah and we hear that a lot about understanding the uses when to use a spinning rod i mean obviously there are anglers out there that are phenomenal anglers that pick up the spinning rod first, right? But so many of us grow up picking up a baitcaster first and then, you know, learn that we have to pick up that spinning rod later on to uh, be more consistent in events. But you can look at a Josh Bertrand, Aaron Martins. Gosh, there's, there's just some guys that that always reach for the spinning rod first, right? And they've probably had to learn it just the other way, wouldn't you think, Aaron? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you conditioned it. And it has to do with who uh, exposed you to the sport, who you learned from, perhaps the geographical area that you live yeah. in, all of those things I, I think come into play with what your strengths are. Yeah. And I really liked his analogy of coming up with team tournaments and, you know, he's a one day derby guy. Look, man, if, if you don't jack them and they ain't big, you're just going to the house with your tail between the legs kind of deal. Right. So he was conditioned to, to that style of fishing. And when, when he went on to, you know, a new goal and focus of trying to make a living in the national tournament, scene, you know, he progressed into those changes. So, you know, props to Buddy for seeing deficiencies, understanding those, and now really being able to capitalize. And and when it's in his wheelhouse, that's when you see him bust giant 27-pound bags on day four to come from 10th to 1st because that's what he grew up doing also. No doubt. And uh, you've got to believe that growing up on the bank, walking the shoreline, making those casts, then he talked about, you know, sitting out there throwing a a Carolina liner rig with his dad until it hurts you You gotta think that that all contributed to where he's at now real quick i'll throw one thing out there real quick you know it was a short answer on the listener question today but sometimes the short answer is the most confident and precise answer well it occurred it's the whole less is more right yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so I think that that's important too. You know, very short, concise in several of his answers. When we asked him to expand, of course, he did a great job of, of letting us know, you know, how those things were break down and what was running through his head. But Buddy Gross is dialed right now. No doubt. No doubt. And speaking of less is more, I will uh, close us down and uh, leave all of us to hopefully get on the water. So for Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. This is episode 332. We look forward to episode episode 333 August 1st hard to believe in the meantime we appreciate everybody sending in those questions keep them coming appreciate everybody sharing uh, everything on social media let us know uh, perhaps 
what you may want to hear in the future. We're always open to uh, suggestions. We want to keep this for what you want to listen to. Have a wonderful two weeks, everybody, and we look forward to our next episode, August 1st. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lowrance Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.